All right, well, good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Man, what an exciting day today is. One service, we're not all used to always being together. Uh, now, you guys are so cramped, you see why we do two services. But man, it's super exciting to have everybody in the room uh, today. If you're getting baptized, if you wanna go ahead and make your way backstage, uh, we'll get you guys uh, ready to go uh, with that. And so today's an exciting day for a number of reasons. One, we're breaking ground on our new permanent facility uh, after church uh, today, after our service. We also have uh, nine people who stepped forward and said yes to Jesus and wanna be uh, baptized, and we're gonna celebrate that. And today is also uh, our Commitment Sunday. And so uh, if you've been here over the past few weeks, as the video said, we've been thinking and praying and asking God to do more in us so that he can do more uh, through us. And one of the ways that I've been challenging you as Connection Church Vidaya is to, to ask God what he may be asking you to sacrifice so that you can give a little bit more uh, so that we can take the gospel further than we ever have before. And Immeasurably More has some really, really exciting objectives, and I hope you see that every objective we have through the Immeasurably More initiative is about reaching more people uh, with the gospel. We want to be a church uh, that is active in reaching people uh, far from God. And so we've been in this series now for three weeks. And so the first week we talked about uh, God doing immeasurably more in us specifically. Before God can do immeasurably more through us or do anything through us, he must start in our own hearts. And so we have been posturing ourselves in a prayer and saying, God, what is it that you wanna do in me today uh, that's gonna enable you to do more through me in the next uh, coming days and coming months and years uh, forward. And so last week we talked more about uh, God doing immeasurably more through us into the world. And so I hope you guys were able to hear that. We had a missionary uh, in-house who uh, across the world who lived in Siberia and was actually the first Christian convert uh, of her people group in the world. And so I don't know if you guys realize that, but there aren't many people in the world that were the number one first person uh, that were converted uh, from their people group to Christianity uh, and so that know English. And so, uh, praise God, we were able to get her and she shared her story and what a powerful story it is to give us uh, really uh, an example and, and just an ability to understand in sending out this new church plant team that we're sending out to an unengaged people group exactly what that means and to be able to put a face with that. It's so easy to get caught up in just what God's doing here in Toombs County and miss out on the 3.2 billion people, 3.2 billion people around the world that have no access to the gospel. And so that was exciting. And today, uh, we wanna focus in on God doing immeasurably more through us into our community. And so we are a local church and so uh, we want to reach people locally. We believe God has placed us in Vidalia, in the Tombs County area, uh, to reach people and bring the hope of the gospel into areas of this community uh, where they don't have it and people aren't walking uh, with Christ. And so two of the objectives in the Immeasurably More Initiative have to do with that, where it's partnering with organizations that are already out there that are doing some incredible works as well as us building a permanent facility. We've been mobile now uh, at STC, at the Blue Marquee Theater in Lyons, uh, at the Parton Park over in Lyons now for eight years. And so it's about time for us to plant our roots deep uh, in this community and build a place that we can call home as a church. And so we're excited to do that, that can serve as a launching pad for us uh, to serve in this community uh, for the years uh, to come. And so I wanna talk specifically about that uh, this morning. If you're here and this is the first time, the first sermon uh, that you're catching uh, in this series, uh, praise God that you're here. We're excited. Welcome uh, to Connection Church. My name's Billy. If you don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited uh, that you're here with us this morning. And so today we're gonna be talking about what does it look like for God to do immeasurably more in us so that he can do immeasurably more through us into our community, right? How do we begin to uh, walk with God and, and, and serve with God to do what he wants to do 
in this local community that he has placed each of us in. And how does he intend uh, to do that? How does this work? And I think in order to do this, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage where Jesus makes an impact in the community uh, that he is in at the time. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Uh, this is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and Jesus has come to earth. He's been born as a baby, and he's, he's walking through life. And, and we're beginning to learn the heart of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you don't know that much about God and who he is and what he does, the best place to look to see who the God of the Bible is, the only God in the, in, in, in the universe is, the best place to look is to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about God is he wrote a book and he gave us this book called the Bible where we can look into it and see exactly who he is. We don't have to ask questions or wonder or take a preacher's word for it. You can look in God's word and say, this is God. He wrote a book. He inspired it. And so we can look into that today. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. And I'm just going to read a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. And we'll walk through it verse by verse. And so here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho is a town. And he was just passing through. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have heard the name Zacchaeus in the Bible before? How many... Raise your hand, audience participation. All right, so a few of us have heard of the name of Zacchaeus, and it tells us something about him here. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so we learn early on about this man that Jesus is having this interaction with, and who he is is a chief tax collector. Now, how many of you guys are familiar with the IRS? Anybody? Okay. Uh, there's not a lot of people that like IRS people, because they want money from you, right? And so if you're an IRS agent in here, I'm sorry. Uh, you're welcome. We love you. Uh, we just don't like that you want our money. And so that's kind of what Zacchaeus is, is he is a chief tax collector. Now, back in those days, it was even a little worse than you're thinking. Uh, Rome was in control of most of the Jewish uh, people and the places where Jews would live, including Jericho. And Rome would come in, and what they would do is they would find one lovely Jewish candidate that they could convince that if they'll turn against their people and begin to steal money from them, the more money they get from them, the more money they can make and they can become rich. And so the person that they were able to turn against their own people to take money from them through taxes would be a person who idolizes money, who says, I'm willing to, to, for people to hate me. I'm willing for people uh, to, to not even look at me when they see me in public. I'm willing to disown my family and all of my friends just so that I can get rich. And that's who Zacchaeus is. And so you can imagine in Jericho, Zacchaeus was not a very liked uh, person. He was working for the Romans, and he was stealing money from his own people. And not only that, every time you saw him, he had money, and he was wealthy. So it just reminded you of the bad that he was doing, because he was getting wealthy off of people like you and I, our Jewish people uh, there. And he had given up everything. So you know money had a hold on his heart. Of all the people in Jericho, Zacchaeus was the worst of all sinners. He would be the person that you would look at and say, man, nobody likes this guy. Nobody wants to talk to him. Don't be friends with him. That's the type of person Zacchaeus was. Verse three, what happens? Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. So he had an interest in Jesus. He had probably heard of the miracles that Jesus was doing and heard that he was passing through, but he had an issue. It says, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he was having issues it doesn't tell us how tall he is, but we know he was short. So he was short, and he was a traitor, and he was taking your money. So you can imagine the ridicule that he would have been getting. So here's what Zacchaeus did. He ran ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore or a fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was going to be coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, now, just put yourself in this picture. 
I mean, you, Jesus is a real person. He's coming in. You've heard about him. You know he is the God-man, the Son of God that's come from heaven, and he's doing miracles, and, and he's claiming to be the Messiah. He comes in. You know he's a big deal, and he walks through the whole city of Vidalia, the whole city of Jericho, and he goes to the worst person in the entire city. He goes through everybody and goes to this tree. Now, now climbing a tree, if you're a kid, is kind of cute, right? Will, my son, he's five, he loves to climb trees, and when I look at him, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute, maybe he's gonna hurt himself, so he needs to come down, but it's kind of cute. But, but Zacchaeus would have been a full-grown man, and if you got full-grown men climbing a tree, unless they're in a, a, a deer stand to kill a deer, it's just kind of weird, right? You got a guy who's on a branch up here in the tree, so you can imagine the ridicule that he would have been uh, taking. But you can almost put yourself in the story, and you can see the people maybe even making fun of Zacchaeus. And here enters Jesus, and he walks into the city. He walks through the crowd of Jews or Christians uh, that are mocking him, by the way, saying he's going to, 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 to visit a sinner, and he comes right up to the tree where the worst of sinners is and says, today, come down from this tree, I'm coming to your house. Now, for many of us, we've grown up in church our entire life, and our view of Jesus may or may not be the view of Christ that we get in the Bible. And so in this passage, we come to a, to a crossroads. Will we believe what we want to believe about Jesus, or will we adapt and, uh, and form our view of Jesus around what Scripture teaches us about the heart of God? Because this passage teaches us that the heart of God is to come and go after the worst of the worst sinners. Nobody is too far and beyond the grace of God. And Jesus was proving a point. He knew what he was doing. He was walking through to say, listen, this is the heart of the God that you believe in. I'm coming in, and the person that you think that's too far, that you hate, that you're showing no time of day, that's the very person that I'm gonna come and show you just how powerful I am, and I'm gonna change him forever. Now listen, this was a divine appointment, and it came through a personal encounter with Jesus and so Jesus says in verse six, listen, it says, so he came down, Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed Zacchaeus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Jesus has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, then I will pay back four times that amount. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. I mean, you see, obviously, something's happened in Zacchaeus' life because we know money had a hold of his heart because he had traded everything in his life so that he could become rich, even if it meant betraying his own people. So we know money had a control in his heart. Well, then he goes and meets Christ and experiences the grace of God, has a personal encounter with Jesus, and now his view of money has flipped. He's become a generous person. How do we know that? Well, the Old Testament law teaches us that if we steal from a person, that we should pay them back not just what we took from them, but double that amount. But it doesn't say Zacchaeus paid double. What does it say it paid? Four times that amount, right? So we know something happened in Zacchaeus' life that has now turned him into an over and beyond generous person. And that's why you hear us say at our church all the time, it's the gospel that produces generous people. When we experience the love and the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ, when we find out that he came from heaven to earth and he came from riches into poverty to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to die on a cross so that you and I could find life in his name, it changes something in us to where we begin not to want to live for ourselves anymore, but we want to live for the sake of other people. We live our life to serve people, to be generous, to give, to be a giver, not a taker, because we want to be like the same God that came and was so generous to us. The most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? And so we see this this, this verse now become a reality in the life of Zacchaeus. And then verse nine, Jesus says, listen to what he says to the, to the crowd. He says, today salvation 
has come to this house. Because this man, too, is now a son of Abraham. He has been brought into the family of God. That any person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, when they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are now a part of the family of God. They are now a child of God. Can you imagine how much this meant to Zacchaeus, who was basically an orphan because of the decisions that he had made to turn against his people? No family, no friends. And God says, not only do I want to save you, but I want you to be a part of my family. I want to invite you into my life. This is an incredible picture of the grace of God. And then verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to write that down. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If Jesus had a mission statement in his life, we all work at companies, we all go to a church here that has a mission statement. A mission statement is a big deal. A mission statement drives Everything you do as a church or an organization or whatever it is that you're a part of that has a mission statement. If Jesus had a mission statement, his mission statement would be this verse. I came, Jesus, to seek and save the lost. And if our church has a mission statement, it would be very smart and wise that our mission statement would look a lot like the mission statement of Jesus. Amen? And so our mission statement as a church is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you never have to wonder what drives us as a church. All we care about, what we care about most in our kids' ministry, student ministry, in your life, through our music, through our sermons, we don't care a lot about what you think. What we care about is what God thinks and what Christ thinks and what drives us is to see you and the heart of God come through us into your life and say, we want you to be connected to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want you to move from being lost and not walking with God to now being saved and growing in your relationship with God and seeing God use you to go and connect other people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, that's really what I wanna reiterate as we begin to talk about this idea of how does God wanna use us to make a difference in our community? Now, I wanna be clear because it's easy to sit here and think, oh, we're at a church service, so this is the church's responsibility to do this. But the Bible's very clear, the church is not a building, right? The church isn't even a service. The church is a group of people. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are a part of God's church. And so your view needs to switch to where I don't come to church, I am the church. And so if God's heart for his church, meaning you and I, people of God, is to go out and seek and save the lost, to connect people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we wanna continue to make a difference in our community, then there is no greater person to look to than Jesus in this passage. And what I wanna do is I just wanna point out very clearly three things from this passage that we see in the life of Christ. And I want us as people to say, and it really examine ourselves to say, is this my life? Does my life align with what God's purpose is for my life? And so three things. The first is this. Jesus sought out lost people. Very clearly, Jesus came to seek and save lost people. This is the idea of evangelism. God wants us, we say it this way at our church, God rescues us and puts us on the rescue team. Right, so once we've been rescued by the grace of God, now we become a part of his team to go out and rescue other lost people. Secondly, we see that Jesus met Zacchaeus exactly where he was and invited him into his life. You know, I think this is where we get it wrong a little bit. When we think of reaching a person for Christ, a lot of times the mindset that we have is let's go knock on a door and tell somebody they need Jesus and if they don't have Jesus, they're going to hell and they need to pray this prayer, check this card and then we invite them to church. Is that what Jesus did? No, Jesus invited Zacchaeus into his life. He went to him, he shared the gospel, showed who he was, he experienced the person of Christ but he went to his house. If we're gonna be like Christ, we have to be willing to invite people into our life and I've figured this out in a personal standpoint, is this is what discipleship is all about. 
is not just telling somebody something, it's inviting someone into something alongside of you and saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ because people will experience Jesus through you in a more powerful way than they hear something come out of your mouth in a lot of ways. It's not that the coming out of your mouth is not important. It is very important. But the other part of that is that we're showing people the love of Christ. And then the third thing we see in this story is that the gospel truly does change everything. It changes everything. And so if we as a church are preaching the gospel, living the gospel, following in the ways of Jesus, then our church will be characterized by life change. There will be life change going in. If we ever get to a place where there is not life change happening, then we have drifted away from following Jesus as a church. And so we need to understand that this is how God wants to continue to make an impact through us into our community. So let's talk about each of these very quickly. The first is seeking and saving the lost. Jesus wants us to be a church that seeks after lost people, right? Not expects them to come to us. We got to go to them. And so we have to be on the mission. If this is Jesus' mission statement, then it should be our mission statement as well. I want you to think about it again. Think about who Zacchaeus was. We've already talked about it. He was the worst of the worst. He was a traitor. He was greedy. He was a thief. He was the most hated person in all of Jericho, the furthest person from God that you can think of. Who is that? Who is the furthest person? Did you say, man, that person is way too far gone. I don't even like them. I don't even want them to know the Lord. Who is that person when you begin to think about that? That's the person that Jesus came into Jericho and he went after. So if we want to be like Christ and we want to make an impact in this community, that's the person we need to go after. It's not saying all the people in in between that you don't consider to be the worst of sinners. If you get down to the bottom of it, we're all pretty bad sinners, amen? We all got our stuff. It may look different in the lives of different people. For us, for some of us, sin may look like uh, being drunk in a ditch, on cocaine, naked, going to jail, right? But that may not be all of us, and that's okay. For some of us, our sin may look religious, we may put on a suit and tie and show up to church every week and our heart be as far from God as we want to and our life and our personal life not reflect anything about Jesus. Lost is lost and wickedness is wickedness. Both of those people are far from God and Jesus says those are the people that I came for. It's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. And so as a church, we must continue to focus our eyes outward towards people that do not know the Lord. It just seems to be the drift of the church that once we kind of grow and God starts doing some cool stuff that we start fighting one another and we lose sight of the purpose in which God has placed us in this community, which is to go after people far from God. There's people all over this community right now that have no hope. They're living their life for a purpose that is always going to let them down. And their view of Jesus has probably been tainted by some church or some Christians that has told them about the Christ that isn't the Christ of the Bible. And so for many of them, when you start talking about Christ, there's a hard shell that's built up on the outside because someone who's who's called themselves a Christian has hurt them in some kind of way. And so for us as believers, we can't just turn away because of the hard outer shell. We must press into people because that's what Jesus did for us. And the same forgiveness that he's offered us, we must offer people around us. And it starts with us as individuals. So here's my question for you. Do you seek out people the same way Jesus does? Do you live your life reaching out to lost people? We say here at our church all the time, saved people live sin. If we have been saved and rescued by God, then he's now placed us on the rescue team. Did you notice there were two kind of mindsets in this passage? You had the mindset of Christ, and then you had the mindset of the crowd. Now, the mindset of the crowd was what? Why is Jesus going to eat with with him? Why is he spending time with sinners? Shouldn't he be at the church house with the religious people? That was one mindset. But then you had the mindset of Christ, which was, who's the worst guy here? That's the one I'm going after because the gospel can change him the same way it can change anybody else. 
And so when we begin to think about that distinction, how do we live our life? Do we live it in a comfortable Christian bubble Are we actually allowing the Christian bubble to press us outward to reach people who need to be brought into this family of God? And so again, this is challenging because I'm just like you. I'm not just a preacher. Like, I'm a real person. And I know in my life it's very easy to get comfortable just doing life with the same people over and over and over again. This thing is, you if you hang out with people that are pursuing Jesus they don't do a lot to make you mad most of the time if they're, if they're really following the Lord, so it's kind of easy to be around them. You start trying to love on people outside the walls of the church that are sinners, that are living for themselves, guess what happens? You get hurt a little bit, right? You get taken advantage of because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves, but as a Christian, we must understand if they don't know the Lord, then they're doing exactly what they should do. And God's called us to pursue them the same way Christ has pursued us. And so I want to do an illustration uh, this morning that I think will help us consider this and think about this. So uh, after the service today, we're getting ready to go over to our land. And uh, we, we, we're going to have a good time. We're going to break ground on our facility. Uh, but Connection Church is not about a building. You guys know that. I've told you that a hundred times. Uh, and so what we are about is reaching people far from God. That's what we want to do. And so what I want to do to illustrate that is you should have got a flag when you came in, so pull that out real quick. A little audience participation here this morning. Take that little handy-dandy rubber band off. And I want you to think in your mind, as I've been talking about the heart of Jesus to go after lost people, who is it that's coming to your mind? Who is that person in your life that you know does not have a relationship with God, that God has placed you in close proximity with, or has placed in your life that you need to be going after for the sake of the gospel? And if you know who that person is, uh, you don't have to write it now, but at some point throughout this service, I'm asking that God would reveal that person to you. I want you to write their name down on this flag, and I'm gonna take a second to do it, so if you wanna do it as well, this will be less awkward. All right, and so you can put one name, you can put 100. It can be uh, your spouse, but just don't let them see it beside you. That's kind of weird too. But I want you to write that person's name down, and as we go out to our land in just a little bit, uh, we're actually gonna do a little activity uh, with that flag. And so I want you to keep that with you and I want you to bring it with you uh, later on uh, to that. And so if you don't know and your mind's kind of foggy, I put you on the spot, you don't like me putting you on the spot, then you can think about it and maybe somewhere on the way in between our service today and the land, you can write that uh, down. And what I want us to do is to commit to intentionally praying for that person and to commit to intentionally pursuing a relationship with that person and to commit to sharing the gospel and inviting that person into our life, no matter how difficult that it may be. Another language we use here is, who is your one? We call this person your one. Who is your one, and would you commit to praying for them? The second thing we see in this passage from Christ is that we must prioritize meeting people where they are and inviting them into our lives. I think this is very important, and I think Jesus models this throughout the Gospels. If you read the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically on the life of Christ, one of the things that you're going to see is that Jesus's invitation was not, hey, come pray a prayer and check a box. You know, and, and in our generation and kind of the churches as a whole, when we think of somebody getting saved, it's less about them doing life with us and becoming a part of our family and more about them not going to hell and going to heaven. Now, not going to hell and going to heaven is a huge blessing. We don't want to take that out of there. But at the end of the day, we don't just want somebody to check a box, knock, you know, and say, man, you're great. You're sealed for eternity. Now just kind of continue to live how you want to live. That's not how Jesus did it. His invitation in the Bible was come and follow me. And so you can see that however you want to see it. But what he did was he asked 12 people 12 disciples to come and follow him, and they became kind of a little family. We call them here connect groups or small groups where they did life together and learned how to follow Jesus together. They were a part of a family. We see this in the life of Jesus so well. When he comes to Zacchaeus, he doesn't just say, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Believe in me. 
Now tap you on the butt. Now go about your day. I know everybody hates you, but hey, it's all right. Just uh, be persecuted for Christ. That's not what he did, was it? He said, come down from the tree. We're going to your house. We don't invite people into our house that we don't do life with, do we? Unless they're selling a rainbow vacuum or something like that and we get some points for it, right? And so that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, hey, I wanna do life with you. I wanna invite you into a relationship. You see, Jesus wasn't just interested in converting people to Christianity. He was interested in making disciples. And this is what we've missed in the church so much today is we just like for people to come to church. Uh, We'd love if they got saved and got baptized, but when that comes to being a part of my life, listen, I'm good with the way my life is. I don't need somebody else coming up in my life. But that's not Christianity. Like when people are saved in the Bible, they come and be a part of the family. And they're a part of the family of God. It makes me think about a Eunice story from last week. She was a, a person in Siberia who had no access to the gospel. And, and, and Greg and, and, and Julianne went to Siberia, didn't know the language. They learned the language. They did life among this people group. And they began to invite her into their home on Friday nights. And they cooked for her. And they served her. And they loved her. And they allowed her on the front row of their life, in their living room, to see Christ in them. And over time, guess what happened in Iuna's heart? God began softening it. And God began drawing her into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then they began to teach her about the Bible. And listen, you'd say, well, that works in Siberia. I don't know that that works here, Billy. Well, I'm telling you from personal experience, the people in my life, in mine and my wife's life that we've been able to see uh, absolutely be transformed by the gospel, it has always had some common denominators in it. It's always had some commonality. It's It's always been through inviting them into our lives. You know, because where we live, everybody's a Christian, right? And and nobody talks about if we say we're a Christian, but yet our life reflects a life of sin and selfishness, and that doesn't really add up to what Christ says it means to be a Christian, that I may not be a Christian. And so when somebody just says, Billy, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believed I got saved when I was nine and got baptized, and man, I'm good. And then you kind of look at their life, and it's like, well, it doesn't really seem like you're living for God. Like, what's going on? And that's awkward for us, right? And you say, Billy, you're a preacher. You can just say that. I can't say that. Well, you don't have to say it, but in your mind, you can think, hey, that doesn't really add up. So why don't I begin to invite them into my life so that they can see what it looks like to truly follow Jesus? It's not saying, hey, you're wrong, and I'm right, or you're wrong, and I'm perfect, and you got sin in your life, because if they follow me around for any length of time, they're going to see I got some issues, too. But the difference is, is I'm trying to deal with my issues and I'm asking God to change my heart and grow me. And so what happens is when we begin to live life this way and quit focusing on 10,000 people coming to Christ, but just focus on the three or four that God's placed around me and begin to say, hey, I don't just wanna see them become a Christian. I want them to come into my life and be a part of this. I want to walk through life with them and show them what it's like to follow Jesus no matter what that costs me. That's where the power of the gospel comes out because that's what Jesus modeled for us. We call it life-on-life discipleship. The most powerful thing that any person in this room will ever experience is a Christian inviting them into their life to see the raw, uncut version of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Listen, I thought I was a Christian, and I went off to college, and I joined what we call here Connect Groups over in Statesboro, and I got surrounded by five guys who loved God, and they were fighting sin so that they could pursue the Lord more in their life. When I got in that group, it came out pretty quick that whatever they got, I don't have, but I think I got what they got, but it ain't looking the same. And what God began to do was expose me for who I truly was. I was trying to do Christianity on my own. And Christianity is not about you being gooder or being a better person. Christianity is about Christ doing a work in you and through you. 
And it was so evident in my life around those guys. I'd heard thousands of sermons my entire life, but it was in that group that God began to expose me because these people invited me into their home, into their life, and allowed me to see a raw, uncut version of what it meant to pursue Jesus. Think about Jesus. Twelve guys followed him around for three years, friendship, watching him do what he does. Jesus ascends to heaven. Who were the guys that started the greatest movement the world has ever seen? And we're sitting here in this room today because of their faith. It was those guys. It wasn't the people that Jesus preached to the crowds. It was the 12 guys that he did life with. Listen, if we as a church can begin to commit our life to inviting people into our lives to follow Jesus with us, the impact that we can make together is exponential. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. But there's some accountability with that, isn't there? And this is how Jesus designed the Christian life, that as we invite people into our life, they actually get to see if we're truly pursuing the Lord or not. And for some of us, the thing that we need most in our relationship with God is some accountability. We need people in our life that are looking to us to say, man, how are you pursuing God? How are you wrestling with these things in your life? And I pray that we would be a people that would invite people into our lives. So my second question is this, who are you inviting into your life? Who intentionally are you inviting into a friendship so that they can see and hear Christ through your life? And then the last point that we see in this passage is this, that the gospel truly does change everything. If you just look at the life of Zacchaeus, and you see that Jesus sought him out. He went to his house. He invites him into a relationship. And then you look at the Zacchaeus before Christ and then the Zacchaeus after Christ. Something happened when he met Jesus that changed everything about him. Something happened. What was it? Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And so when Jesus met him and saved him, and Zacchaeus said, Christ, I see who you are, and I want to follow you. I'm, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm trusting in you as the Lord and Savior of the world. In a moment, Zacchaeus' life began to change. He was a thief. He was a traitor. He was selfish. He idolized money. He was leading others as the chief tax collector to do the same. But then he met Jesus, and everything changed. He was repentant. He turned from that lifestyle, and he wanted to make things right that he had wronged in his life. He began to be selfless. He began to want to give. Money no longer had a grip on his heart because he became a radically generous uh, person. And you can only imagine if that happened with his money, what happened in the rest of his life. He had found a different treasure where he was looking to money to give him life. He had now found the treasure that gives life better than money. And it was Christ, and when he found it, his grip on all the things of the world released, and God began to transform his life. And here's the good news. If God can transform Zacchaeus, he can transform you, and he can transform my life. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you did it with, the gospel has the power to change all people, the unreachable, the person with the darkest of hearts, the person that we've deemed too far gone, the person that's blinded by religion and consumed with self-righteousness, all of those people, the power of the gospel and Christ can change radically forever. And today, I don't just want you to hear me talk about that. I actually want you to see it in the life of nine people that have come forward and said, this is what Christ has done in my life. He's changed my life and I want the whole world to know. And so we are gonna move into a time of baptisms. And so first up, we have Ian Macker. And Ian Macker is being baptized by his dad, Andrew Macker. And this is Ian's story. He says, my name is Ian Macker. And I'm in fifth grade, and I realize that I'm sinful, and that separates me from God. And there's nothing I could do to stop sinning on my own. I need Jesus to save me. And I went to VBS, 
at First Baptist Lines in June. And on the fourth day, I heard the pastor, Brother Danny, tell a story about a man he met that needed Jesus and a painting that showed people moving from darkness into light. And when I heard the story and saw the painting, I felt Jesus tugging on my heart because I needed to go from darkness into the light. When I got home from VBS, I started asking questions about what we had talked about that day. Later that night, I told my parents I wanted to go from darkness into light and that I wanted to be saved. We talked about Jesus and his death and resurrection, and on the way to the cross, Pilate asked the people if they would rather let a criminal be free or Jesus be free. And my parents asked me if I were there that day, who would I pick? I said the criminal because I had sin in me. After that, I prayed and I admitted to Jesus that I was a sinner. And I told him that I believed that he took my place on the cross for my sin. And I asked Jesus to save me. The difference that salvation makes in my life is that I have the Holy Spirit now to help guide me through life and to help me fight sin. I know one day in heaven, I will get to see Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Baptism is my next step because I want people to know that I gave my life to Christ. This is Ian Macker. Next up, we have Mason Cauley being baptized by Ross Kelly. My name is Mason Cauley, and I'm 14 years old, and I attend school at Vadea Heritage Academy, and my family and our members here at Connection Church. Baptism is my next step because I want to profess my faith and obedience to God in front of everyone that I am a changed person and that I am saved and have decided to walk in obedience to God. It all started on the day at VHA called a One Real Day, a day about getting real with God. That day on March 25th, 2022, I gave my life to Christ. And from that day forward, things were different. God has given me so many people that have helped me and shown me what it means to be saved and to be a Christian and to live for him. My mom first, she always tries to be a godly example and show and teach me the right way to live my life. Then there's Ross Kelly being there as a godly man and mentor, showing and teaching me how a Christian man is supposed to live and being that example. My family being there for me when I need them and showing me God through them. Those are just a few people in my life who have pointed me in the right direction, and I would like to thank every one of them for being the example I needed. With that being said, I hope that not just today, but every day I can walk in obedience to God and do my best to honor him. This is Mason Cauley. Next up, we have Tyra Wilson being baptized by her basketball coach, Steve Edwards. Christ has always been in my life, but I only knew him from a distance. In my teenage years, I had the wrong influences around me and did not have a good heart or the right mindset. I was living the fast life in Miami and going into ninth grade, I believe God had his hand on my life and showed it by moving me from Florida to Mississippi. I, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. He separated me from that scenery to bring me closer to him. My life in Mississippi was much smoother and more peaceful. My relationship with Christ grew a little more, but I knew I needed a deeper connection with Jesus. When it came time to look at colleges, Bruton Parker College was not on the list at all. At the very last minute, Coach and I had a conversation, and something told me to choose Bruton Parker. I, without a doubt, believed that something, that something was God. 
Since coming to BPC, my relationship with God has grown tremendously. I understand the gospel in a way that I never have before. I'm thankful for my family here at BPC, and I'm glad God placed them in my life. I now believe the next step for me is baptism, and I want my family and everyone to know that I take my walk with Christ seriously, and I'm proud to be a Christian. This is Tyra Wilson. Next up, we have Madison Evans being baptized by her basketball coach, Steve Edwards. Hello, everyone. My name is Madison Evans, and I'm from Savannah, Georgia. And while attending high school, I, considered, I was considered a troubled student, the kind of trouble that was separating me from God and giving me a bad name. Before making my decision on what college to commit to, I got in some trouble, and my actions caused me to miss out on a few really big opportunities. I couldn't attend certain schools due to my situation, so I committed to Bruton Parker College. My decision to attend BPC changed my life in ways that I could never imagine. I became more curious about Christ because of people loving me and the gospel being presented to me. I wanted to find peace and healing, and because I was tired of being angry or sad most of the time without even knowing why I felt that way, Christ was working on my heart the entire time because he knew someday I would make the best decision of my life, which was making him my Lord and Savior. My coach led me to Christ, and I've been attending Connection on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and baptism is the next step for me because I want the world to know that I'm changed forever and that Jesus Christ is my everything. This is Madison Evans. Next up, we have Monique Edwards being baptized by Paige Williamson. My name is Monique Edwards, and I know without a doubt that baptism is my next step. I wanna make a change in my life for my son and myself, and I wanna be the positive influence he needs to grow up and to give him a better understanding of Jesus. I personally want a stronger walk with Christ myself, and I want so much to be thankful for. I have so much to be thankful for. God has done so much in my life. He makes me want to continue to grow in my walk with him and continue to be a strong mother to my son. He is a wonderful God and he is truly worthy to be praised. He has saved me from my sin and I've never taken my next step in baptism. So today, I take my next step in obedience to him. This is Monique Edwards. Next up, we have Madison Alvarado being baptized by her husband, Eddie Alvarado. My story isn't much different from the most that grew up in the Bible Belt. I attended the Baptist church I grew up in every time the doors were open. One Wednesday night when I was nine years old, the preacher had a sermon on hell. That night, I approached my grandmother and I told her how scared I was, and I told her, that I wanted to be saved too. She had me repeat a prayer after her and that was it, I was saved. The following Sunday I was baptized and I no longer had to worry about going to hell. 
I was very wrong. As I grew up, I tried filling my heart with things that I thought would satisfy me, but only brought me sorrow. Something was missing, and I couldn't figure it out. About a year ago, I joined Connection Church Fidea and later a small group. The Lord worked through everyone around me. He revealed to me that after all of these years, I wasn't truly saved. I had never truly experienced what Jesus had done for me. All of the suffering he went through for the sake of me, he delivered me, he gave me an amazing church family. He showed me great love that I can't even comprehend. No matter how far I ran from him, he never stopped pursuing me. He never stopped pursuing my heart, and I couldn't be more thankful for a Savior like that. And today, that is why baptism is my next step. This is Madison Alvarado. Next up, we have Oscar Cruz being baptized by his Connect Group leader, Wade Warnick. My name is Oscar Cruz, and I'm 39 years old, so I'm getting old. Well, I feel it anyways. I was born and raised in the Catholic religion and was baptized when I was in diapers because it was my family's religion, and it became mine as well. Growing up, I did everything I was taught to do in our religion. I felt that this made me a Christian and would right all my wrongs, even if I didn't understand my religious beliefs. At a very young age, I was introduced to pornography, and from that moment on, it led me down roads I never thought I would be on. As I grew older, I continued to struggle with sin and tried to do everything I could to overcome sin on my own, failing miserably. This led to unhealthy habits, unhealthy relationships, and a feeling of shame and loneliness. We are not taught in our culture to talk about our problems or even seek help, so I didn't. But sin has a way of not going away. Instead, it takes over your life and destroys everything you care about. On this path of destruction, I burned bridges, broke hearts, and broke the trust of people that I loved. I'd been trying to come back to God for a while and never quite succeeded because I kept depending on my own strength and my own will. I thought I needed to change before seeking God, but realized God is the only person who can truly change you if you allow him to. I had friends mention attending Connection Church and I became interested yet never actually went. It wasn't until Amy became my friend and mentioned she had gone but was going through some struggles. As she spoke, something in my heart told me to start attending with her. As we both learned more about Christ and what his plan was for our lives, I felt that I finally understood who he was. I felt a connection to God that I'd never felt before. And Amy and I started attending a small group where we continued to learn and grow in our faith. And I'm so grateful for the friendships that we have made and the love and support our small group has had towards us during very hard moments. They have each impacted my life tremendously and I'm thankful that God blessed me with such a wonderful support system in my spiritual journey. I know now what it is to truly follow Jesus and what it feels like to finally be free from the burden of the sins because he so lovingly took my burden and my shame from me and freely gave me salvation. I pray that I can now lead my family towards him. Today I choose to be baptized as a symbol of my faith and commitment before God, knowing that he has saved me to be the husband, father, and the son that he has called me to be. This is Oscar Cruz. Next up, we have Amy Cruz, and she's being baptized by her Connect Group leader, Courtney Warnick. I grew up in the church my entire life. I learned the Bible from front to back, knew the gospel, and did everything that I was supposed to do. But as I lived a life that was expected of me, I never learned to have an actual relationship with Christ. I followed a life of religion and not a life that had my heart tied to him. I struggled with making bad decisions 
and falling into destructive cycles most of my life. When COVID hit, my, my children and I completely stopped attending church services. For two years, we had a complete disconnect from what little faith we had left. My marriage at the time began to struggle as we each drifted further away from God and closer to sin. As a family, we focused completely on pursuing worldly success and believing that financial gain and worldly recognition would fill the emptiness in my soul. But you see, the world promises so much, and yet it delivers on nothing. Because when I reached what the world considered success, I was still empty, and my heart was further, further than it had ever been from God. I made choices that finished destroying my already failing marriage and tore apart my family. I lost my relationship with my children, which was the highest price that I paid. I became bitter and angry with God. I wanted him to change the outcome of my situation, yet I wasn't ready to make any real changes myself. It was easier to be a victim than it was to humble myself and admit that I needed to change. It wasn't until my eight-year-old daughter, Rebecca, came home one day from school and asked me to take her to Connection Church. She said she had promised one of her teachers, Cruz Arredondo, that she would go and bothered me until I agreed to take her. I didn't actually make it through the service because I listening to people worship God and listening to his word brought conviction and great sorrowness to my heart. After two services of leaving halfway through, I stopped attending. And a couple of weeks later, I was telling Oscar, who was my friend at the time, about why I'd stopped attending church. He told me he had made a lot of mistakes and in his life and wanted to start going back to church. And I told him that I couldn't go back because it was just too hard. He then told me, well, what if you didn't have to go alone? He has attended service with me every week since then. Blake encouraged us to sign up for a small group and it was nothing like I expected. Our small group is a group of imperfect people who are transparent about their lives and their shortcomings, strengths and weaknesses. I've never felt that it was okay to not be okay until now. I had put up a front and pretended to be perfect for so long and letting, then, that letting my walls come down, becoming vulnerable, and admitting where I needed help was literally the hardest thing that I've ever done. But it's where I have had the most spiritual growth and where I found an amazing group of friends who love me the way God loves me and a group that listens to each other's struggles and together we dive into God's word for clarity and guidance. I was 11 years old when I was first baptized. I've known for a long time that I was neither ready nor did I understand what it meant to have a true relationship with Christ. I come now to make this public acknowledgement that Christ is my Lord and Savior, that without him there is nothing I, could ha I have possibly done to atone for my sin. He loved me when I was unlovable. He chased me when I ran away from him and took all the ugliness, all the brokenness, and transformed it into something beautiful. Only by his grace are my children now worshiping him together as a family. Only by his grace will I be marrying a man who sees me through the eyes of Christ, loves me as Christ loves his church, and wants me to go to heaven more than anything. God turned my sorrow into joy where he leads. I will follow all the days of my life. This is Amy Cruz. Next up, we have Matt Holly being baptized by his dad, Danny Holly. My name is Matthew Holly. I am 44 year old, lifelong Bade resident. I spent my childhood Sundays in a Pentecostal church where I was very close to God. By the age of 12, I was beginning to stray from the Word. By age 16, I was experimenting with things that would soon completely disconnect me from the Lord. By age 21, I was a husband and father and creating and leaving behind a path of disaster as I moved forward. By the age of 27, I found myself a divorced father of two, lost in this world, consumed by drugs and alcohol. Depression would set in for many years. So did my alcohol abuse. At age 35, I would add a sweet wife, stepdaughter, and a new baby to my life, but still no holy presence. By age 43, I had pushed too far. I found myself at death's doorstep, 
and I just could not believe that I had been incarcerated in treatment, hospitalized, and it was all stemming from 30 years of addiction and poor preservation of self, or so I thought. On a beautiful day in April 2022, I was on my knees in prayer with a healthy understanding that my life had become what it was because of the absence of God in my life. And my prayers shifted from what they once were. I began to pray for knowledge and understanding of the word of God, the ability to retain it, and the ability to apply it to my daily life. I prayed that he would put me in a place where I could grow spiritually. All of my prayers were answered in great detail, nothing short of a miracle. Now, as I began to pursue a biblical education and service to God's call, I pray for only his will in my life. Today, I've asked to be baptized symbolically, allowing the old self to be crucified with Christ in the waters of death and rise with him in the newness of life. Please remember me in prayer and in celebration of a new chapter in my spiritual walk and discipleship. This is Matt Holly. Absolutely my favorite part of being a pastor is getting to read baptism stories. What an incredible testimony of the fact that the gospel truly does change everything. And I thought there was no really better way to close out immeasurably more than for you guys to get to hear what God has already done in us and through us into our community because this is really what immeasurably more is all about. And over the past few weeks, again, we've been praying this prayer together. God, would you do immeasurably more in me and through me for your glory. And for these nine people, that required a next step. And their next step was baptism, to show people that God had done something in their heart and they wanted everybody to know. And so now I wanna turn that around on you and say, as you've been praying this prayer, God, what is it that you want to do in me? What immeasurably more do you have in me so that you can do immeasurably more through me? And I pray that you've been praying that prayer. And I promise if you have, God has a next step for you. I don't know what it is. And there's different people all over uh, this room today. And for them, it was baptism. But for some of us, it's salvation. Like we need a relationship with God. Maybe today is the first time in your life that you've ever understood that God is not running from you in your sin, but he's running to you in the midst of it. And this morning, you say, Billy, that's me. My heart's so far from God. But this morning, I realized he loves me, and he sent his son to die for me. And that if I'd turn around and turn from my sin and turn to him, that he would save me and do a work in my life. I pray this morning that you would not miss the opportunity and the invitation that God has. For some of us, it's been a prayer out of complacency and into growth. Maybe you're in this room, and you've just been complacent in your relationship with God. For me, this was what it was about. God was stirred in me saying, Billy, I've done a lot in you, but don't look to the past. I have more in the future. And for some of us, we've spent so much time focusing on what God's done in our past that we miss what he wants to do today and in the next and the coming days. And I pray today that you would be invited into that invitation. And for some of us, it's a missional prayer. Today has stirred your heart. There is someone in your life that you need to go to and share the gospel, and invite them to church, and invite them into your life. Begin to show them the love of Christ in a way that they've never experienced it before. And then for all of us as a church family, today's also an opportunity into the three-year journey called Immeasurably More. And it's an opportunity for us to give together as a church to accomplish something more And so if you're here and Connection Church is your church home, this is for you. If you're here and you're just watching baptisms or this is your first time, don't feel any pressure to be a part of this. But when you walked in this morning, you should have received 
an immeasurably more brochure and an immeasurably more commitment card. And if you've been here over the past few weeks, you know that I've been challenging you as a family to sit down and pray, God, what would you have us sacrifice so that we could give a little bit more so that we could accomplish and reach more people for the gospel and take the gospel further than we ever have uh, before. And so uh, as we end the service today, I wanna give you that opportunity and I wanna kinda explain how this works. And so again, this is a three-year commitment and I'm not asking you to sign it in blood. I'm not coming after you if you don't do it. This helps us as a church plan as we begin to step into this building process and as we begin to seek after vision and what the Lord wants us to do. This helps us as an elder team know what we can and what we can't do, but it also challenges you to sit down with your family, with your spouse, and pray, and I pray that you've done that. And so today, I want you to pull this card out, and I want to give you a few minutes uh, to fill this out, and I'm going to just walk you through kind of what this looks like uh, for Kate and I. I'd never ask anybody in this church to do something that Kate and I weren't willing to do. I just don't think it's right. I can't be your leader if I'm not willing to step into something with you. And so uh, for us as a church, this is as much about participation as it is about anything else. And you may say, Billy, I don't have a lot of money. Well, if you notice, I'm not asking for you to give a lot of money, unless you wanna give a lot of money. I'm asking for you to ask God what you can sacrifice to be a part of this. And so for Kate and I, what that looked like is we prayed and asked the Lord, what can we sacrifice over the next three years? And so for, for her and I, we came up with a number of $125 a week. And you say, Billy, well, was that a number from God? I don't know if it is or not, but that's kind of where we met and where we prayed through. And you say, Billy, that's not that much money. Well, for us, this is a pretty good bit of money, more than we've ever committed to give over and beyond our tithes and offerings ever. And if you do that math, let me show you what that looks like. It doesn't sound like a lot, but for us, over three years, that's almost $20,000 that we'll get to give up something that we don't need and be a part of taking the gospel further and reaching more people. And so today, that's what we're gonna commit. I'm asking you to do the same thing. I'm not saying I'm good or bad or I'm not doing it for that. It's not about that. If you hear that, you're hearing me wrong. What I'm asking is, what is God asking you to do this morning? So I wanna give you a few minutes, and then we're gonna take up our offering, and I'll call the connectors down. Also, uh, you'll see on the top, there's an opportunity to give a jumpstart gift. Basically, what that means is if you wanna give a, a, an amount today, you know, a lot of people just wanna write one bulk amount, that's great. You don't have to give weekly, you can give monthly, you can give annually, however you wanna do it. But I just ask that you would fill this out so that it would help me. Put your information on the front, how you plan to give on the bottom. Uh, so for us, it'd be a commitment amount, 125, and we'd say weekly. And then on the back, if, we, if you plan to give a jumpstart gift today, you'd say, I wanna give $100 today. Boom, write 100 there. And then I put you a little handy dandy chart on there. And so you'd say, Billy, I wanna do $50 a week for the next three years. Then you can follow on the chart and it'll help you kind of figure out how to fill it out. And so again, this would just be very helpful for us. And then next week we can celebrate uh, what God has done. So let me pray for us and then we'll, I'll call the connectors down uh, to take up an offering. So Father, again, we love you. And God, we're so excited to be a part of what you're doing in our church. God, we're so excited to be a part of reaching more people. Lord, I pray that the same heartbeat that we see with you in the story of Zacchaeus, God, that you would characterize our church. God, you would characterize individuals in this room and on this stage with that heart. God, that we would seek out lost people. God, that we would invite them into relationship, into our life. We would meet them where they are. God, we'd show them the love of Christ. We'd show them who you are. God, invite them into that. And Father, I pray we do it with great faith that the gospel can and will change all people and change everything for us. So that's our prayer this morning. God, would you lead us and guide us in Jesus' name, amen, amen.